Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's The Argument. I'm Jane Poston. Hi, I am Fiona Grove. I'm calling from Madison, Wisconsin. I was 15 when Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president. But in that time from 2015 to now, I have completely lost my sense of patriotism, my faith in democracy. My dad is a U.S. history teacher of the Howardson variety. And when I was a teenager, I had this conviction given to me by my father that America was a project, that it was far from perfect, but that people like me were going to continue this project of achieving a more equitable and functional democracy. But I think a lot of my fellow Gen Zers and me, having come of age in the Trump and Biden years, have this feeling that the American project is completely lost. A new generation of voters is heading to the polls this year. Members of Gen Z are under 26. They've come of age during the Trump presidency. A pandemic, protests over police violence, For them, school shooting drills were normal. They're also more progressive than their parents or grandparents, even if they identify as Republicans, which is why Democrats are hoping they'll turn out this election. It's clear that the Biden administration wants their vote. See, cancellation of some student loan debt. But what's actually going to drive them to the polls? And more importantly, once they're there, what matters to them most? I'm voting in the midterms because things are looking kind of grim. Because my abortion rights are kind of under attack here in Virginia with Governor Youngkin. Because I'm worried about the state of our democracy. To get this country back on the right track and off the track it's on right now. To fight against Trump and the rise of the ultra-right wing of evangelical Christian bloc. I think that climate action is urgent. I'm excited for some of the things that are coming mainly student debt relief and potentially the decriminalization of marijuana. And the reason why I'm voting is because I'm a little nervous, just a little, that uh, there may not be something for me to vote for in like 10 years. I think we talk a lot about the youth vote without actually talking to, you know, the youth. So I've gathered a group of three voters in their early 20s to talk about their politics and how they're thinking about the midterms. Zach, Bella, Isaac, hello. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Sometimes when people are like, oh, we're going to have a conversation about a generation, people still do this with millennials where they pretend that all we do is eat avocado toast. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like 35. You know, I eat avocado toast and I purchase anti-aging skincare products. Like, (laughs) it's a rich balance. But you are not representing everybody of your generation. You just are interesting people I want to talk to about your opinions and your experience. And you know the most about that. So I want to start out by asking you to introduce yourselves. So um, do you want to introduce yourself very quickly and just say, like, what pronouns you use, just to make sure that we're all feeling comfortable. Zach, do you want to start? Yeah, so I go by Zach. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. 
I've lived in Fort Wayne, which is a city in Northeast Indiana. I've lived there my whole life. I went to one year of college, but that was right around when the pandemic hit and I ended up leaving as a result of that and other things. I currently work for a union. It's not like a new one. It's been around for, I believe, over a hundred years. I got into it because of my dad and, you know, I work with a bunch of conservatives and am not, but, you know, that's life. (laughs) How old are you, Zach? I'm 21. Awesome. Isaac, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Isaac Willauer, he, him. I'm a junior political science student at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. I'm currently working as a reporter at a couple of outlets, including The College Fix, which is a news publication that covers higher ed. And I do commentary for a conservative think tank called the Acton Institute. And Bella, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Bella. (laughs) I'm 22 years old. I'm from South Florida. Um, My pronouns are she, her. I studied government and international politics at George Mason University. I'm on the Team Enough Executive Council, which is a youth-led gun violence prevention organization. And I'm a former policy associate at March for Our Lives, and I still continue my work with them as a co-facilitator of a binational peace summit. Bella, how do you think about where you fit on the political spectrum? Like, where do you think you fit in? In a utopian society, I would <laughs> be extremely progressive. But um, I feel like in today's day, I have to kind of abandon my morals a little bit when I vote because I feel like there isn't really truly candidates that check off all the boxes for me. But so left leaning for sure. Isaac, what about you? Center right, I think, is probably the most accurate characterization. I don't want to say conservative because that comes with such a long line of baggage and some of it is not my baggage. So I, I think center right is a pretty accurate characterization. But I would echo Bella's point about voting for candidates who don't completely line up with my values, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And Zach, what about you? I do want to agree with both of them about the no candidate really representing me, but I would consider myself progressive forward. I don't want to say Democrat, but progressive is kind of like how I like to think about it. Zach, do you feel like you fit in politically with the community you live in right now or where you grew up? So I've had a complicated journey through politics. And so when I was young, obviously, like I kind of lived in a not politically conscious household. And I became friends with a lot of just conservative dudes in the schools that I went to. And that really impacted how I felt about things. And so just being told things like abortion is bad and that healthcare should be privatized and stuff like that, I kind of just assumed that was the way to be until I think it was like when I got into high school, I got my first smartphone, which was huge. And I kind of was able to learn more about the way the world works. And I also moved into my father's house and he is a you know progressive individual. And that really impacted like how I thought about things and how I talked about things. So then I kind of moved into a less agreeable position when it comes to the politics where I live. The people I talk to currently, I do fit in with them. I'd still consider them a minority in the city that I live in. Isaac, you are going to school in Western Pennsylvania and, you know, obviously working with some conservative organizations. But do you feel like you fit in with the people you're around every day? Yeah, the the answer on that has changed a lot, I'd say. In terms of, I mean, look, I live in Western Pennsylvania. Doug Mastriano's on the ballot here. I don't want to call it Trump country, but it's pretty close to Trump country. And I'm very much don't fit into Trump country. And I kind of never have. Politically... At my college specifically, I am probably left compared to the majority. But in terms of how I compare to generally the area around, also fairly left, but maybe not as much. Bella, what about you? 
Yeah, so I grew up in South Florida, and I'm Cuban, so I grew up in a really Republican household. So I would say when I'm home in Florida, I'm definitely way more progressive than most of my friends, and I attribute all of that to moving to Virginia for college in D.C. Um, I think up here I fit just right in, (laughs) but in Florida, it's definitely a huge difference. I'm curious what that means for what party you align with. Zach, what do you think of the party that you generally align with? And what do you think about the one that you don't? So Democrats are kind of the option I have, you know what I mean? Without like seeking out a third party, which there's a lot of complications with that. I definitely am not like a big fan of the fact that we only have two choices. And the Democrats, like, especially where I am at, they are extremely moderate compared to what I would like. And it's kind of a disappointing thing. So they're you know, satisfying, I guess, because conservatives or I guess the Republicans of the moment are kind of scary. Just the way that they talk about people like me is not something I can really handle. So that I, I'm finding my home where I can, I suppose. Right. Isaac, what about you? Um, party identity. Oh, that's, that's, like, that's such a fun topic. <laughs> it, look, I've, I've grown up with a lot of Republican influences in my life. My parents are both very conservative. My father is a minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is a Protestant denomination, and I'm still very Protestant. I wasn't born in this country. I was adopted at 18 months. A lot of my childhood environments were full of very conservative people. And I think I generally, growing up, associated that with... The Republican Party is the way to go. Although I will say, when I was like eight years old, I asked my dad, who was listening to Rush Limbaugh at the time, so is it that the Republicans are the good guys and the Democrats are the bad guys? And my dad looked at me and said, there are bad guys on both sides, and don't forget it, which is very wise. Mm-hmm. I'm a registered independent because I don't... My political party identity basically comes down to where I feel like I like my vote can actually accomplish the most. And so my party identity is going to depend on a couple things. And one of them is... How much can I actually accomplish in a primary? Which party's primary is more interesting slash has the capacity to move the needle more? And right now, I'm I'm kind of at a loss of faith on both parties, and I'm not happy with where the Republican Party has set its trajectory, and so I'm not going to align with that. So that's why I'm an independent now. Bella, what about you? I tend to vote Democrat, but I don't necessarily happily vote Democrat. I think with my roles in both gun violence prevention organizations, I've learned the urgency of a lot of these issues. For instance, with firearms being the leading cause of death for young people, I think that there's so much more that needs to be drastically done immediately to mitigate this reality. And so for me, I kind of just find so much disappointment in the lack of urgency in the Democratic Party. And with the Republican Party, I think, you know, our nation has become so polarized in this present moment. And I feel like with when you say Republican, people nowadays just think fascism, and that's just what we have on the table. And so I personally, you know, talking in college with Gen Z Republicans, I didn't feel like they were fascist all the time. So I think that there's definitely a loss and a lack when it comes to the political spectrum, and we need a third party. I think that would really help. But that's, you know, my perception of both parties. So not hearing a lot of happiness with our two major parties. Yeah, not ringing endorsements. Not no, I'm, not, I'm not, feeling, not feeling a lot of enthusiasm. Um, Bella, you've worked with March for Our Lives. You're about to start a new job at a new policy nonprofit. What appealed for you about pursuing policy work, which is um, 
I, I know for, you know, it's pretty tiring and exhausting and sometimes kind of demoralizing. Yeah, absolutely. I would say this kind of goes into growing up in Florida. So growing up with Republican parents, I didn't really, I was told what I was supposed to think. I was told our country before, you know, turned into a communist dictatorship. We had to leave. This is the country that's going to give you all the freedoms. You know, just follow the rules, follow the American dream. And for me, I just always held on to that. I thought it was possible. I thought, you know, my grandparents made it. I'm able to stand here today and get a higher education and and things like that, and my parents as well. But when I was in high school, I did face a lot of tribulations, things that I didn't realize were abnormal. For instance, I didn't have health care my entire life, pretty much. I grew up with a single mom. So going to the doctor was always a thing of, is it really urgent? Can you wait? Is this something that we can fix at home? Even now, I kind of have to tell myself, go to the doctor. Um, but also in high school, I experienced homelessness for a few months um, with my mom. And that was something that took a, a really big toll on my mental health. And my senior year of high school, I feel like it all just poured over because I grew up in Broward County. I used to live in Parkland, Florida, and I went to elementary school there. My sister went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas when we lived there. So when the shooting happened, I was a senior and I had friends in the building. I remember texting them. I remember receiving videos of young people bleeding on a classroom floor and dying and just immediately being traumatized. And that day changed my life forever. And I remember the day that we'd planned to walk out and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go in the courtyard, see what happens. I didn't really plan for anything. And my entire student body was there and we just overcame the administration and just marched out the doors. And I was like, whoa, we just overcame administration. <laughs> like we're on the streets right now. We're fighting for something. There's helicopters with like news outlets. Like we're making a difference. And what I thought was such a politically apathetic community of young people was actually a really strong movement to be reckoned with. So with that, I was like, okay, if I can overthrow some administrators, maybe I can convince some <laughs> legislators to vote some gun violence prevention bills. And so for me, it was kind of a matter of healing from my trauma as well. And I think when it comes to political advocacy, politics used to, used to be a thing of just, you know, older people. It used to be a thing of older white people, older white men who had a lot of power. But I think now, you know, politics is everywhere around us. It affects our everyday life. And so that's what has driven me to become politically active. Isaac, do you have a memory of when you first started caring about politics? Yeah. So I became politically conscious after the election of 2016. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing now for a lot of people my age, that was like their first political memory, mm -hmm. right? So I'm realizing like people's first political memory actually fundamentally shapes their view of politics. So mine was Trump was elected and I was 14 and I knew enough to know that that wasn't normal and that pretty much very few people in the country expected it, even people on the right. And people were really mad about that and still are. And that was my first, that was kind of my first political memory it was kind of that descent into our current polarized state. Not that it didn't exist before. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of first political memory, it's Trump and it's all of the things that followed in, in his wake. I think I'd have to agree that it was Trump, but it was more the like run up to Trump getting elected and then like the subsequent things that happened as a result. But like I, at that point in time was 
like the only progressive voice in this group of people that I talked to that all were a big fan of what was happening in the Republican Party. So there was constant conversation leading up to it. And, you know, I was 100% one of the people that was upset when Trump was elected. I can remember just being moody that day, you know, walking around the halls. And yeah, it was just, it was very upsetting. But then everything that kind of happened after that, like with the policy things that he did, I remember getting into a very heated conversation about the like Muslim ban that he put in place. And that was just like, that was probably the first time I felt super politically charged. Yeah, I'll just say for me, I think I'm older than you. I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened. And I was like, oh, this is going to change the rest of my life of like how my life goes. So for you guys, your big political memories are from largely the past six years. And a lot has changed since Trump, obviously. So I want to talk a little bit about the ways that you engage with politics and the issues you care about. To start, I actually want to do a quick lightning round on some of the big issues that people are talking about a lot. And we'll just go in the same order for each one. We'll go Bella, Zach, Isaac. So first up, Bella, climate change. Is the government doing enough, yes or no? No, absolutely not. Zach? No, not at all. Isaac? Um, not sure. Okay. The economy, on a scale of one to ten, how worried about it are you? And what in particular are you worried about? Bella? Ten, housing affordability. Zach? I want to say six. Personally, I just don't think it's the most pressing thing right now. Isaac? Nine, inflation and global trade. I feel like I'm kind of going to know how at least one of you is going to answer on this. Bella, gun control. Do you want more or less? Way more. (laughs) (laughs) Zach? I like more gun control. Isaac? No, we don't need more gun control. Okay. Bella, what did you think of the Dobbs decision when you first heard about it? I was heartbroken, wrenched. Uh, As a woman, this is terrible. So this is a huge issue. Zach? It was absolutely devastating to me and everyone around me. Isaac? Uh, Roe was a badly decided case as a person of color. I was very happy that there was going to be less abortion in America. Bella, crime. Are you worried about crime? And if yes, what kind? I would say I'm not so worried about crime. I'm more so worried about providing resources to prevent people to commit a crime. Zach? I'm not super worried about crime, personally. Isaac? Yeah, we have a major crime problem in America, and we should probably look into some way to fix it. Affirmative action! Bella, do you support it? Are you opposed to it? Colleges, workplaces, what do you think? I think it's important, but I think there's definitely flaws. Zach, what do you think? I agree with affirmative action, but there definitely needs to be like some nuance in how it's applied. Isaac? Yeah, as an Asian, I really don't like affirmative action, and we need to gut large parts of it and figure out a way to make an actually equitable system. So I just asked you like the biggest questions that people get so upset about, and I really appreciate your great answers. So let's talk about these a little bit more. And you tell me, of the issues that we just talked about, which of these do you have the most complicated feelings on? Like, are there any questions you guys have for each other on these topics? Um, I, I do. Um, Zach and Bella, I guess I'm, I'm assuming I am the only anti-abortion person on this podcast. And I think I'm right about that. I don't know about I Jane. have complicated feelings okay. about the subject, yeah. but okay. that's not my job. I'm curious. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm curious. In terms of do you support, is it all abortions? Are there any restrictions that you would support like in terms of 
are there any limits that you'd be okay with or not or not really so i'll go first if that's cool i i don't know it's not super my place to say really that's kind of been my opinion on this as a whole i think that like if a person's able to get an abortion up to 15 weeks is way better than just outright banning it you know so i would accept that but i i think with my limited knowledge about like the actual biology of pregnancy i think abortions up to fetal viability was a satisfying thing for me I think that helped a lot of people not get trapped into having a child. Yeah. I think it's like uh, when people are seeking an abortion, I don't think that they're doing it with the intention of murdering a child. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely maybe a medical reason or a reason that they can't provide a life or that can take care of the child and provide a good life for that child. And so I think that that is completely valid and everybody should have the choice. I think not only that, but I think that the decision you know, overturning Roe v. Wade was more than just abortion. It also just influenced reproductive health in general. For me, being someone who menstruates, someone who has, you know, a feminine reproductive system, it is incredibly hard sometimes to get attention when you're having an issue. And a lot of these things go hand in hand with Roe v. Wade, you know, like birth control and things like that. But sometimes women don't take birth control um, or menstruating people do not take birth control to prevent pregnancy. They also take it because they might have a lot of pain from an ovarian cyst or things like mm -hmm, that. Sure. And so for me, the main thing is not just abortion, but also all the other healthcare aspects that come with it. Isaac, I'm, I'm curious what you think about how do you talk about this issue? I try very, very hard. I think it's very, very important for people who are critics of abortion policy to to understand that people who support abortion are supporting it in good faith. I don't think most of the people in America who are pro-abortion are doing it because they specifically think it's a baby and they think it's okay to initiate surgical procedures upon it that will lead to its death, right? I don't think that that's how most people are approaching the issue. I do think it's a baby. And I do think that the moral calculus involved with abortion involves some serious conversations about when does life begin? Do the circumstances of life dictate its value? Those kinds of things. I think it's important to get down to the moral roots of the abortion question. I don't know if I feel like abortions, like, I don't have like a moral complication with it. You know, it feels like it is needed a lot of times outside of a person just not wanting to have a child. It's like the policy that's actually being put in place sometimes means that people will die as a result. And that really concerns me. You know, I feel like I, yeah, right. if sure. we want to talk about morals, that's also really complicated, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, and that, that's a very valid point is that some abortion policy is really crappily written. Like a lot and of it. We should talk about that. <laughs> we should we should talk about some of the inconsistencies and difficulties in anti-abortion policy. It turns out it matters how you write a bill. <laughs> Who knew? Exactly. After the break, we'll get into how they're feeling about the midterms. As a global leader in experiential education, 
Drexel University encourages students to both gain knowledge and find new ways to turn that knowledge into action. Drexel is proud to be one of 39 private institutions in the nation to achieve recognition by the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education as an R1 research institution, affirming this Philadelphia University's commitment to discovery and innovation. Experience what education can be at drexel.edu. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. And the very first place that you can get the newest episodes of our podcast, it's a full day and a half before they appear anywhere else online, is the New York Times audio app. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories for when you want something, you know, short. That's only at the New York Times audio app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. So we chose, I mean, I chose, I'm in charge here of this benevolent (laughs) autocracy. I chose to talk to you because you're all voting in the midterms. And I want to know, Zach, you live in Indiana. Indiana's Republican legislature made it the first state to enact an abortion ban after Dobbs. And we talked about how that's an important issue for you. But Indiana is also considered a safe Republican state. Yeah. Knowing that, does it make it harder for you to vote knowing that you're in a minority or does it make it feel like you need to do that even more? Kind of the latter. I know it's definitely a bummer to just go out, stand in the line for forever and just know that nothing's going to change. But Indiana has in the past elected blue candidates and my city has a democratic mayor and that's Mm -hmm. an exciting thing but i feel like the numbers matter you know how much the democratic candidate loses by is hopefully it gets smaller every year and eventually something might change bella you grew up in a cuban-american family there's been a ton of conversation about the latino vote in florida that's a a super annoying generalization (laughs) But I am curious what you're hearing in your family and with like relatives and how they talk about politics. Well, definitely a lot of Cubans tend to just be Republican. It is the fact of the matter. But Cubans are incredibly different, I think, than a lot of the the rest of the Latino population. So I think, you know, they're a little bit misled because Republicans will gear towards their trauma and, and use that lingo and those buzzwords to get them to vote for them. Is that something that you hear from like your parents or family when they're talking about this? Or do they? Do they talk about it with you? When, like- they, they do not. They're very much just like in their echo chamber. And I think what I've learned is listening to newer generations of Cubans is that we have a different outlook than our parents. A lot of newer generation Cubans just tend to also think what their parents think as well. But there definitely is a little bit of change in the conversation that I'm witnessing. Isaac, you're voting in some races that are getting a lot of attention. Democrat John Fetterman versus Republican Mehmet Oz, otherwise known as Dr. Oz for Senate. Republican Doug Mastriano versus Democrat Josh Shapiro for governor. So who are you voting for and why, if you've decided? All right. So I will couch that while I figure out a way to evade your question. Oh. Um, the Fetterman campaign is fascinating to me. There's this big piece, I think it was in The Atlantic, about the Fetterman campaign. It's great. It's Isaac, been really interesting. Isaac, who are you voting for? Yeah. Um, I'll probably vote for Dr. Oz because I don't like John Fetterman's policies on a bunch of stuff. I'm not sure if I'm voting for Doug Mastriano. I think there are profound moral failings in Doug Mastriano. And they're ones that we can't just let slide. That said, 
I also think Josh Shapiro would be a very bad governor of Pennsylvania. So I'm torn. The moral calculus on the Fetterman-Oz race, it goes to Oz for me, um, where it's probably a very unpopular opinion because the room has gone deathly silent. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so for all three of you, maybe start with Zach. Is there someone who appeals to you in politics right now? Not necessarily on the ballot. Like, you don't need to give me a stump speech about somebody. But is there somebody where you're like, that person seems to get it? I guess the people that I've like heard about that are kind of changing things, Stacey Abrams and John Fetterman pop up in the news a lot about doing things in a little different kind of way, which is interesting to me. I think it is really important to me for a person to be younger, like, you know, no geriatrics or I think like <laughs> younger people and the ones that are trying to challenge the system. Yes, absolutely. I think that young people are facing the consequences of a lot of policy failures of the elderly, but policy failures in general. And we're directly impacted. So we know the solutions that are going to work for us and our communities. Um, so, Bella, I, I want to open this up to Isaac and Zach, because I think when people talk sometimes about young people like running for office, there's kind of this idea of like, they're young, they'll fix it. Isaac, what do you think? Does that, Especially because I think that Republicans are simultaneously generally talking towards older people, but also are very excited about young Republicans. So I'm curious as to how do you think about that? I think there's a great and beautiful space between some members of the American legislature are way too old and it's really kind of strange and that maybe we shouldn't have that. I think there's a space between that and I would vote for someone in Generation Z and I would view Generation Z as like a positive factor. I don't really care how old someone is, although if you're like 91 and in Congress, okay, that's maybe not, (laughs) right? So... I would love to see more Generation Z people in in the legislature as long as they have good policy. That's kind of what I care about. Like, if I can choose between a Generation Z person with really bad policy and someone who's 45 and has really good policy, of course I'm going to vote for the 45-year-old. But yes, it's nice to have have the legislature not looking like a soon-to-be morgue. I think that's a nice thing. (laughs) So I want to ask, Isaac, is there somebody in politics that you're just like, hooray? There's someone that I think morally gets it, and I think there's someone that strategically gets it. So morally gets it, Rand Paul. I really like Rand Paul. I think he's done a good job. He shills a little bit for Trump, which I don't like, but I think he's generally done a pretty good job of merging conservative and libertarian sides of things. Tactically, and I don't really like him on policy as much, Tom Cotton has done a really good job of tactically playing the Republican legislature. I think he's going to make a presidential run someday, and he could very easily pull off the nomination if he does it right. So those are two people who really kind of get it. I'm just going to say, he's a person who every single day, he eats birthday cake. That's just a just <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I tend to think his stance on the death penalty is way more concerning than his weird habits, because I didn't eat today. So, like, <laughs> we've all made mistakes That's in that fair. area. Now, you're all in on birthday cake every day? Okay, we're learning. <laughs> Bella, is there someone that you're excited about in politics right now? Broadly, I like to focus on local levels. I think that people doing local work are really making a change in their communities. So I would just say anyone doing the work in your community to make a a better place, that's who I'm excited about. So it seems like everybody, pollsters and pundits and news services and me, is trying to figure out what Gen Z is all about. I know I said earlier that we weren't going to do like big sweeping statements about a generation, but... That was like an hour ago. So now we're going to do it. So what do you guys think people get wrong about Gen Z? Zach, do you want to start? 
I feel like the people that I am around, we are very much more politically like involved or at least conscious than I think the people that are older than us. Like my family was never super politically charged, but I feel like all of the people my age like have opinions and like to talk about them, you know, and on both sides of the political spectrum. And I think that that's like, I guess something that I like about Gen Z more. I don't know if that's what the question was, but yeah. You know, what would you want people to know kind of what you want from politics right now? I want to be given space to exist as ourselves. I feel like a lot of times the government is going to try and step in and set rules that I just don't need in my life. And I guess we just are trying to be ourselves. And I don't know. I want the space to do that. Isaac, what do you think? Yeah, I'd I'd echo Zach's sentiment very strongly. Like, bunch of us just want to be left alone. It's like that that quintessential libertarian thing. I just want to be left alone always, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Generation Z tends to be pretty politically burnt out, but so so is everybody, to be fair. We want to live our lives in a society that isn't trying to kill us. Actually. (laughs) That'd be great. Bella, what do you want people to know about you and your friends and what you want from politics? Like, what what keeps you going? I think one thing that people get wrong about Gen Z is that they think that we're entitled. They think that because we have the internet and all these things like Uber Eats and convenience. But I think Gen Z is just trying to push the conversation a little bit further past like accepting things in this country to assimilate. Like I feel like our parents and our grandparents had to assimilate a lot to this country, whereas we're now trying to, you know, take control and really make it a home. And then to their point as well, Zach and Isaac, I think the sensitivity is a huge thing. So sensitivity and acceptance, you know, I feel like older people are always like, oh, Gen Z is so sensitive. They they have to say their pronouns. They, they don't want to, back then we used to joke around about these things and now you can't talk about that. And I don't think that that's necessarily true or okay. I think that maybe Gen Z is just kinder. Maybe we're just understanding and getting a good understanding and intelligence of, you know, how to be culturally aware and understand what other people feel comfortable with and making each other feel comfortable and accepted. And I think that's something that we all really collectively value. And it's not something to be mistaken for weakness or sensitivity. It's acceptance and it's love. And I think Gen Z has a lot of radical love. And I think that that's really beautiful. I just want to live in a community of love where we do things for each other and not for power. I really want to agree with what Bella said. The whole radical love thing just really spoke to me. And I I agree with that very much. Interesting. I actually like completely disagree with the utopian (laughs) part of it. So I'm just naturally a tragedian because all conservatives are just really gloomy people. (laughs) But I guess what keeps me going is, yeah, no, some of these battles we're not going to win. And it'll be okay, right? The country is going to be okay because... If it's not, it's going to really suck. Maybe it's maybe it's blind faith. Maybe it's misplaced faith that the country's going to be okay. That doesn't mean that I get to not do everything within my power to try and make the country a better place, even if it doesn't work out. Zach, Bella, Isaac, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. This has been great. Thanks so much. Thank you. I also just want to say thank you to both of you. I feel like this conversation this was great. so respectful. Awesome. And I think if people can just have this type of respect and talk to each other more, maybe we can actually get some things done. (laughs) (laughs) 
My guests today were Isaac Willauer, Isabella Delacio, and Zach Krebs. And thank you to everyone who called in to leave us a message. Even if you didn't hear your voice in the episode, we listened to all of them. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Phoebe Lett, Vishaka Durba, and Derek Arthur. Edited by Alison Brujek and Annabelle Bacon. With original music by Isaac Jones and Pat McCusker. Mixing by Pat McCusker. Fact-checking by Kate Sinclair. Audience strategy by Shannon Busta. With editorial support from Christina Samuelewski. 